0: Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. We've got the the whole group back together, boys, and it's uh, it's very exciting uh, to do radio with you both uh, the way that God intended. And uh, being that it's 2020, and we really can't talk about um, anything at all without um, somehow sounding like the worst people. Uh, ever. We are going to, uh, we're going to keep it safe. We're going to keep it in house for a few apps, and we're going to interview each other. Um, We're all writers. We're all journalists at some level and uh, we all enjoy the interview process, the interviewing process. And uh, we're going to come up with some questions for each other uh, and uh, kind of lob those at each other as a means of getting to know each other a little bit better. And, uh, hopefully the audience will enjoy that. And, uh, this one boys is, uh, is going to be my app. So you guys are going to mm. interview me a little bit. Mm. Um, you sensed when I got on, uh, when I got on the call this morning, because you're a man of the cloth baby, and you're very sensitive and <laughs> kind of attuned to these things. You, uh, you, you sensed that I was glum and guarded and, um, like any great journalist, you realize that was the moment to lean in and, uh, and start mm. asking some questions. So, uh, we do have a sponsor. Um, that I want to tell you about briefly, real quick. Uh, It's a little company called Harvest House Publishing. And uh, one of Harvest House's many, many business endeavors uh, is a little project I call The Outstanding Life of an Awkward Theater Kid. Uh, It is a graphic novel by me. And um, you know what? I'm just going to be, can I be real honest and candid, boys? Um, This graphic novel has one review on Amazon so far. Mm. Uh, Yet, in spite of the fact that I've had many, many people Uh, come up to me and say that they've loved it and it's been very funny. And I don't know if people are just having such a hard time, like logging into Amazon, if they've made their process more difficult, but, um, or another, another possibility, I suppose, is that people actually hate the book. Um, which is funny because like there, there would have been a time where that would have hurt my feelings, but, uh, I don't know that I care so much about that anymore. Um, because I like the book, but uh, but if if you feel led, moved, um, go to Amazon, give it a little five star. Uh, it would it would help. It would help my fragile psyche, but also uh, probably help it help me to look better in front of the publishers, so that I can I can write my dream follow up novel, uh, which so, is called uh, The Dog Lives. Yeah. So this this one is called The Outstanding Life of an Awkward Theater Kid. It's a graphic novel for middle school kids. Uh, it's very funny. And very gospelly, y and maybe the most perfect book ever written. So
1: not not to uh, not two adjectives that usually get used side by side, funny and gospely. Those yeah, are well, uh, usually like those to, live in very different arenas.
0: Here's what I like to do, boys, in publishing. I like to find the smallest, most <laughs> uh, in <laughs> the, the most inconsequential
2: uh, Careful maybe, you're not describing me right now.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I like to find this the smallest, tiniest possible audience um and then and then wait for them to not buy the book and then not review it and that's that's kind of what i've always done throughout my career not all
2: of us can go as wide as pipe
0: Mm, you know there's cast a wide net doesn't he the oh the
1: irony of you saying that when you're the only one who's written a book that sold really well on this podcast so uh Uh, yeah there, there is a certain amount of sort of self satisfaction in writing a really niche book that doesn't sell that you're very proud of, yeah. um, because because you can just the, the fact that it didn't sell has so like you there are so many reasons for it and so many excuses. Yeah. It seems like I mean it was an excellent book it just didn't it just didn't find its niche kind of thing yeah. and uh, and then you can feel really good about yourself even though nobody bought it or read it. Although in your case I think the problem is more that the readers are 10 years old That's and true. they don't use Amazon. So their they don't have access
2: to delete the reviews for them. Yeah, you're still yeah. selling to adults at the end of the day.
0: Mom and Dad, listen, get get uh, get to your computer or your phone. You can do this through your smartphone or your tablet too, boys. Um, yeah, run to Amazon, say some fawning things about Big T and about uh, the outstanding life of an awkward theater kid. But speaking of fawning things about Big T, um, let's get into this interview, boys. Let's do some uh, some radio journalism, okay? Um, I'm I'm all yours. Uh, anything is on the table, fair game. Um, you have questions. You've done probably hours of show prep. Um, I imagine that you were like up late last night, surrounded by like uh, legal pads and empty takeout Chinese food containers. Yeah, actually, I, I
2: flew to Nashville, man. Me and Pipe got I together was, for a couple of nights. And just, well, that's
0: like, good, so,
1: baby. I spent a fair amount of time on the dark web just trying to dig into your past and <laughs> yeah. find all the things that you've tried to hide away and really... Really researching this thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, I know how much you hate getting on an airplane big R too. So that must have been tough for you to fly. It was there.
2: rough. Yeah. I was it took a lot of time out of my other time that I mm. take time out of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: All right, boys, let's uh let's do this thing. Fire away.
2: Roll it out, Pipe. I'm gonna let you uh lead the charger on this one.
1: Yeah, after so I have a very pressing question to ask you after hours and hours of of prep time. And uh you can answer this however you will. It yeah. simply fits. Why David Foster Wallace?
0: Mm. Well, yeah, it's interesting, man. That's a good question. Uh, I think David Foster Wallace, and and this is a, I think, kind of an interesting like window into what we, the first thing that we like when we first kind of learn how to like things at a certain level. You know what I mean? So Wallace was the first writer that really liked, the first modern writer that was kind of, Still alive, still around my age, who kind of drifted through my transom once I had figured out what good writing was. You know what I mean? So, um I had been writing myself. I had been reading some good things. I figured out what good writing was. And then I found this guy, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this guy's freakishly talented, writes at a really high level. Um, you know, so he became kind of the the bar, if you will, for what great writing was for me. and it was it was really funny really observational, really wry. Now, you talk about deeply cynical, you know, which we were talking about off the air. Um, you know, the the older I got and the more I think I started to mature in my faith, the the less connected I felt to David Foster Wallace. So somebody asked me on another podcast like how badly would you want to be David Foster Wallace? And um, you know, my answer was something along the lines of 15 years ago like a, a bunch, <laughs> but you know, now, not hardly at all, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, the guy was massively talented, but didn't know the Lord. Very troubled. Obviously, we know we know how that story ended. And um, yeah, I mean, all the talent in the world, all the ability in the world w- wasn't a redemptive moment for him. So um, so anyway, I'm rambling now. But uh, but yeah, and, and I think pipe some some of that had to do with the aesthetic of David Foster Wallace and the way that he he was a little bit of a rock star in the literary world. Like he wasn't a dork, like most writers, you know, um, yeah, actually seemed, he actually seemed cool and kind of interesting to listen to in interviews. And I was like, Oh wow, this guy's, he, he makes writing look better than most people would, I think. And, um, and that was, that was a compelling part of it too. All right. Follow
1: up question. How much did David Foster Wallace influence your personal aesthetic with The longer hair, the, just the general
0: look that you take with you. Yeah, that is a great question, Pipe. And I I actually think not very much as far as my like personal looks aesthetic. I I think I stole a bunch of stuff from him as a writer, probably not probably. I know I did. Um, So the writing aesthetic, I probably leaned on Wallace more than the personal aesthetic. The personal aesthetic, I think I just stole from like the nineties in general you know, so pick your like flannel wearing, you know, grunge band from the nineties. And I was probably stealing something from that aesthetic. So, um, you know, the, the hair would be like, shout out to Eddie Vedder on that one. Um, the glasses KK just bought me these glasses and I've, I've ridden with them ever since. Um, I, yeah, I, I never got into the whole, like, so one of the aesthetic things Wallace did was like, he just wore like a bandana everywhere, and um, I, I never really got to that level of like comfortability with a bandana, you know, everywhere. But uh, <laughs> but he he pulled it off with aplomb.
1: Yeah, he. That's an interesting one because that has that has a distinct like I'm a pseudo hippie look, you know, very Billy yeah. Nelson
0: and right. you know, all things late sixties. And well, Axel
2: and also, Rose, ironically enough.
0: Yeah, Axel Rose. I, I have a lead to, singer
2: of Poison. Let's just keep making it yeah, worse.
0: Brett, my shout out Brett Michaels, man, solid, solid <laughs> um, guy in in every respect. But yeah, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to look like I was trying to do a Brett Michaels thing. I think with the bandana and uh, also like wearing the bandana everywhere, like Wallace did, it does convey a real sense of.
2: Brett Michaelism, mm-hmm.
0: Brett Michaelism, but also like, <laughs> I don't give a crap about the occasion. You know what I mean? And while I think deep in my heart, I am, I am on the rebellion spectrum. Like, I just couldn't wear, I couldn't wear a bandana into like, every academic meeting. And you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to like, flip the finger to like every uh, social occasion. Well, quite. T, it that, just doesn't even
2: book. seem like you anyway. Like that, that, that yeah, doesn't,
0: it really isn't me. Yeah. Really I feel like, like that's not, that's not a vibe that, that can, no, no. Yeah. you know, to each their own, I guess.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, I got a, I got a hypothetical for you, big T
0: lay it on me, baby. Um, I love the hypotheticals. From yeah. Me. The hypes. Um, <laughs> the hypes.
2: okay. So you get to write one more book for mm-hmm. the rest of your life. You got one more book. Um, you yeah. got every publisher willing to publish it. Mm. And you have to make no consideration for uh, its commercial viability. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's it doesn't matter if one person buys it. It doesn't matter if nobody reviews it, because um, every so in publisher, some ways
0: it will be exactly like the rest every, of my career. Every
2: yeah. book, right, but but yeah. in, but you don't have to think about the idea of yeah. You know, you don't have the pressure on your shoulders of doing something that is going to particularly cater to a, you know, a particular audience. You know, yeah. so one book every publisher is interested. Commercial considerations are out the door. Yeah. They send you away for a year, anywhere you want in the world mm-hmm. to work on mm-hmm. this book. Yeah, uh, what's the book? What's the dream book? What's the final thing? What's the thing you mm-hmm. would like to get out of your system and leave mm-hmm.
0: the world? Wow, baby. Okay, so you wanted me to go glum. So you're gonna you're gonna get glum here. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Honesty. I want honesty. I know, baby. And you're you're so good at, 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 at like <laughs> getting getting me to that place. Um, I, I would like to write a book about, <laughs> this is so glum, dude, <laughs> uh, like aging and like the degradation of our bodies from like wow. a spiritual standpoint, um, yeah, concurrent well, commercial with,
2: considerations out the door.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. Cause that's a book that people are just going to be racing. Oh, to they're they're going to have shit. so they're much fun with it, baby. You know, they're really going to have Amazon's
2: a blast crashing it. the, the website. Dude.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to break the internet with that one, you know? Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, so it's something that I've been thinking about a lot as like my oldest son, Tristan really starts to hit his like athletic peak here where he's, he's just hitting at a super high level athletically concurrent with my demise, you know? Um, you know, so (laughs) I'm, I'm in my mid forties and I'm, I'm trying to keep up with him in the gym and on the field and having at one level the time of my life with it. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying football and physicality with him more than I've ever enjoyed it. And just loving seeing him excel. excel, but at the same time, like, uh, everything hurting on me and stuff breaking down. And so I'm, I'm seeing the long view of, I'm no longer young. I'm no longer full of promise. And, and all this is wrapped up too. And like, professional stuff, family stuff. So it isn't just the sports angle, but, um, you know, I I think we really, once we hit a certain age, we have to begin to reckon with like the degradation of things at one level. Um, so how do I do that? Especially in an area where I've really made it an idol my whole life. Like, I think I've really, um, leaned heavily on just being in shape and being strong and being able to do things that other people couldn't do. And, you know, not at this world-class level, but just at a, at what I would consider a higher level. Mm -hmm. But yet now those things are those little planks in my platform are starting to be taken away one by one. And, um, you know, and, and a lot, a lot of the things that we talk about vis-a-vis idolatry, like how do I, continue to be joyful? How do I continue to be hopeful? How do I continue to worship as this thing that I've relied on for a lot of my joy and happiness over the years is is beginning to degrade? Um, it's, it's a book that I would read if the right person wrote it, you know, in the right kind of engaging sort of memoir narrative style. So I I think it's a book that I would like to write and wrapped up in that too, would be just some stuff about parenting a young athlete you know, and, you know, a lot, a lot of the, I'm putting a lot of the eggs in my own psychic basket on, onto him. And that, that's maybe not the healthiest thing to do either. So, you know, just navigating all that and hopes and dreams and and those sorts of things. I think that's, that's a book I would write.
2: So that's something you almost have like tucked away for like at a particular time when you think, Hey, somebody will put this out. It'll be a really, really, you know, insightful read. It'll almost be like kind of, you know, uh, kind of autobiographical in some ways. Yeah, and, no, uh, completely. You and can it, call it, you know, nothing's beautiful and everything hurts.
0: You know? Well, yeah, and it's, <laughs> well, maybe that's a lovely title. I might, I might just claim that. A, a twist
2: on that famous, you know, on that famous,
0: you know, line. But. Name it and claim it. But uh, it, it's actually like, that's the book that I probably should be working on now. But yeah. I, I, I'm in such a kind of <laughs> dark and hopeless place as it pertains to, like, publishing in the world that I just kind of can't bring myself to care about writing right now. So I'm just not doing anything on it. So on that happy note, what else, what else can I tell you about, boys? Uh, all right. I have a follow-up that's completely unrelated. So
1: just next Good. question going in yeah. a different direction. We're going to dig into your deep, deep past. Um, you are an only child, correct? Correct. Did you ever wish
0: for siblings? Mm. Why or why not? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Never growing up. Um, <laughs> growing up, I never wished for siblings. Oh, the um, wisdom. That's that's because you're smart. Yes. God, <laughs> dude, I just I really loved my household, for lack of a better term. Like, I I liked I liked my parents a lot. I never went through a, re- a rebellious phase per se with them. Um, just because I knew how good I had it. You know, I had two loving parents. They weren't perfect, but like home life was good. You know, I, um, I, I got plenty of like quiet (laughs) alone time to think and listen to my music and work out and everything that I wanted to do was kind of on the table. And, and it's funny, like when guys our age muse about the past, it sounds just like when our parents would muse about the past, but like I had friends in the neighborhood, you know, so I was only a, I was like a little BMX bike ride away from like five friends that I could you know, play basketball with or or whatever. Um, it was really, it was kind of idyllic. So yeah, never at any point was I like, Oh, I, I feel this gaping void in my life. However, um, once I got into adulthood, especially the last five or 10 years and, um, my father-in-law, my, my, my wife's dad, uh, passed away about a decade ago. And, um, I seeing that and kind of walking With her through that, it made me realize how much I would like to have siblings as an adult, you know, just people to share Mm. the burdens of adult life and the burdens of, of parents aging and dying eventually. And, um, you know, I think it would be nice to have that kind of connection with a sibling at this age, but, um, you know, so, so later in life, those, those feelings started to, to kind of emerge, but, uh, but no, not growing up, man. Growing up was growing up an only child for me, it was good. And you know, I'm, I'm more on the introverted side, so I don't think I had this like constant desire to have somebody around all the time. You know, I was the guy that like, if I would have a friend spend the night, I would be sick of him and wishing for him to go home by like 9am the next morning. Like, all right, let's wrap this up. This has been good, but you know, I'm ready to I'm ready to be alone again, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how has how that worked out as a married man and a parent? Uh, All right, it's 9 a.m. I'm <laughs> sick of this. Let's write this thing
0: up. Well, you said it. You said it right there, Pipe. Um it, I it's worked it, I'll say this, it's worked better as a married man than as a parent. Like, and I think that's God's grace. <laughs> like KK is is really the one and only person that I haven't gotten sick of like we wake up every morning and we get our coffees and we sit in the same place and we talk and we have stuff to talk about every morning and I'm, I'm never like oh i'm sick of this you know um so that's that's the lord and and her you know the lord knowing who and what i needed um yeah the parenting thing's been a little a uh, little tougher um there were times when i was definitely more sick of that although and we've talked about this before pipe like now that they're teenagers like i really really enjoy it and um i don't i don't wish any of it away but uh but yeah the younger years man tough tough hangs for sure
1: <laughs> yeah ca- calling a toddler a tough hang is it is it like understatement
2: of the year
0: no doubt sure. dude no doubt <laughs> <laughs> all right
1: ronnie you got any queued up
2: yeah what do you think about this t tell us um I think a lot of people, so I'm going back to the book end of things a little bit, but not, not really, not totally just narrowed down on, on a particular book, but just more of the, the time when you released, uh, why, why we're not emergent. Yeah. What was, um, what sticks out in your mind as some of the surprising, uh, developments that happened when that was released in terms of opportunities for you and Kev Oh. and um and just reactions that maybe just you'd never even given a thought to, because yeah. it was your first dive into the industry.
1: Mm. maybe it was a-, a, 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 a Jason question. did he yeah. use the word fecundity often during <laughs> like that press tour?
0: You know what? never never used the word fecundity. I literally had to ask my wife what that meant with what with, with <laughs> yeah. I literally yeah. did. I,
1: yeah. I had to google it, so same yeah, i I was like, I don't know what this means. It sounds dirty.
0: Piper and I did a whole app on that last. I week know last I missed week. it, so we, boys. I'm sad yeah. I missed it.
2: We managed well, to make can, everyone
0: mad. You can download and listen, Ronnie. Like there's, you can do that. Yeah, um, technology exists for like. you to be able to, uh, for you to be able to do that. Yeah, that would, um, would happen. yeah, it never happened. Yeah, never happened. That that's coming. That's coming in your app, baby. I want to talk mm-hmm. about why you you feel like you can't appear to care about the show, but uh, oh, but but we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it later. Um, your question was stuff that happened during that, just those magical years of dropping why we're not emergent and why we love the church with KDY. Um, yeah, man, a lot of things, a lot of things that I think I took for granted and that I think I thought would be there through the rest of my career that definitely weren't. So one, one of which was, um, so we, we did this thing. We did that book without an agent. Uh, I'd written three sports books. I'd written facing Tyson and a couple of books about football. They had done moderately well. Um, and I had my little kind of thing going with ESPN. So I had a little bit of a, a, a platform before we used that word. And, you know, Katie, Katie, Y And I decided we wanted to write this book. So we were literally sending it into like slush piles of, of Christian publishers because we didn't have agents and we really didn't know anybody in that world at that time yet. So um, we sent it around. We sent it to Moody. They pick it up and, you know, we're getting all these compliments back via email like, Everybody, everybody in the office loves this. Like people are reading it on the subway on the way home and laughing out loud. And I'm like, Oh, uh, you know, that bodes well, that's good. So they offer us a deal. They get it. They manage to get it um, to be one of the like giveaway books at one of the big Christian mega comps that that you guys go to T4G or TGC or one of those. And um, it starts to sell really well. And then they're like, they're inviting us out to Chicago all the time for meetings And they were like putting us up in high rises and like bringing us into boardrooms and asking us our opinions on things. And it's all these kind of like khaki wearing old men. And at the time we were young, like I think I was maybe South of 30 or just 30 and KDY was young and we were just a couple of young slappies, you know, and and they're bringing us in for these meetings and talking strategy and uh, sending us to White Sox games. Like, They were like, hey, boys, got a couple couple tickets for the Sox game, you know. And, OK, quick, uh, quick aside yeah. on that. Uh,
1: if you've ever lived in Chicago, you know that sending somebody to the Sox game mm-hmm. is the budget version of sending somebody to a baseball game because Cubs oh, yeah, tickets totally. are expensive. So oh, yeah, yeah, like, it's, well,
0: it's, it's, it's the budget side of to town. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, go go to the south side, you know, and uh, enjoy that Sox game. But uh, but no, man, it was it was this weird kind of quote-unquote lavish version of of, like the Christian publishing business. And I remember they – like, stop me if I've told this story before. But Moody had just – so Moody's right in downtown Chicago. Like, their their footprint is a couple of blocks in downtown Chicago. And they had just bought – they had just acquired, like, a high-rise. And I think Jerry Jenkins had helped them buy it. And um, the high-rise happened to be filled with, like, old – Russian ladies. It was like a high rise for like Russian babushkas. And yeah, uh, that's
1: not an exaggeration. That's exactly it's it's exact, and, and some of them still live there because it's like rent controlled,
0: dude. It's rent controlled, high rise right in downtown Chicago, like prime real estate, you know, beautiful views out these windows, the whole thing. So they bring us in for these meetings and they're like, yeah, we're going to put you in. It, I think they called it like Jenkins Tower, right? You walk into the lobby and you get knocked over by the smell of borscht and by like a huge painted mural of jerry jenkins it's one of these majestic <laughs> oil yeah I what, mean, it's a, one of these, what a combo right it's one of these royal like oil paintings of you know the, the co-author of some of the crappiest end times novels ever written and um and then you get the borscht smell and so you ride the elevator up and like um you're walking down the hall and you're hearing like russian television through the through the doors of these units and then y- you go into your unit and it's like a just a really nice little apartment in in downtown Chicago. So yeah, I think we we thought that that would always be there. You know, we thought, oh, this is this is what publishing books feels like. You know, um, we're always going to be going to Sox games and and the funny thing was, so K D Y at that time, and I don't know if this has changed as he's become kind of more and more famous, but at the time he was like thirty and he had the palate like the the culinary palate of like a six year old. So. <laughs> We're having these meetings and these old men are like, "Hey, where do you where do you boys want to go to dinner? We'll take you anywhere in the city, right?" And I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, dude! Chicago's this amazing food town. We can get, you know, we could get this, we could get that." Katie was, uh, he's like, "Oh, I want a burger. You know, is there Fuddruckers around? Like, is there just a place I can get a cheeseburger?" And I'm like, "Bro, this (laughs) this may not always be here, you know, like." We need to go. We need to get a good meal. But, uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of burgers and pizza in Chicago and, um, you know, had a lot of fun with it thinking it would always be there. So we, yeah. And, and part of that, and you guys will relate to this was like, we would take the road trip out to Chicago together. So it was like four hours in the car. And when you're 30, when you're like 28, you're just dreaming, you know, you're dreaming big dreams. What are we going to do next? And what do we want to ask these people for? And, uh, it was just a really heady, really fun time. Um, yeah, it was a blast, man. What about
2: the? Uh, here's my question, kind of on yeah. the tail of that. So, when you, w- given the content of it, and yeah. given some of the guys that you were, you know, you were kind of slapping in the yeah. book, did you ever, did you ever have any personal confrontations with any of these old school Emergy guys?
0: Yeah, dude, we did. Um, Kdy more than me because he likes confrontation more than me. But I, I remember one time. And this happened, the details are murky because it's been a billion years ago. But it, we, we were overseas adopting, uh, who would it have been? Would it have been Tris or Mazzy? Anyway, I don't remember. But, but we were overseas. And KDY, we both got invited to some panel discussion that was going to be like televised. Um, and it would have been me, a KDY, like maybe one more conservative guy, and then like two or three emergent people. And I remember watching it from my flat in Ukraine, like, streaming it. And these people just going at each other, you know. Um, and kind of them going at KDY for writing right. Why We're Not Emerging. KDY is going at them. And I remember my one, like, overriding emotion being, I'm so glad I'm out of the country, <laughs> you know. Because I would have had to be there, you know, doing that. Um, yeah, I I remember there was a guy that I, and this is kind of a jerk move by me, man, maybe in a, in a, if I had a chance to do the book over again as a fully grown adult, I wouldn't have done this way, but I, I I did kind of a, like almost an undercover thing where I went to one of these guys talks and I just kind of ripped it. And, um, Mm. but he didn't know that I was there to rip it. Uh, I don't know that I would have written anything differently, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, that was probably just kind of a, kind of poorly done by me. But, Mm. uh, and I think I, I got an email or something from him, but um, yeah, man, long time ago. Um, that's it's, it's weird. I don't know if any of those, those old emerging guys even exist anymore. Like as entities. Like they're, oh, I was going to say, you mean like they're dead? Like they No, died? I don't think they're You're all dead, dead but Your I think I just, killed them. I, th- I just think the industry has moved on, you know? And I think there were only like one or two of those people that could actually sell a book and, I don't know if any of them are really selling books anymore. And then there were a bunch of people in that movement that were kind of like us, that were like moderate sellers. And then, you know, so it kind of mirrored, you know, the reformy side of things where you you had your A-listers and on on down the line. The emergent church depended on
1: being a generational thing, like a generation of youngish Christians at the time, which Mm -hmm. is why you guys could write the book like why we're not emergent by two guys who should be generationally,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: because it it was sort of an anti-institutional, anti-big evangelical, attractional yeah. church kind of movement that mm-hmm. just doesn't that wouldn't it doesn't work anymore. It's it's no. you know people have different ways of being heretics now, but yeah. Uh, that yeah that one it would good.
0: have been if it if it had come along now too it would have been inextricably linked to politics in a way that would have made it immediately insufferable. I mean it was insufferable as it was, but it was like almost charmingly insufferable at the beginning but um it it would have been hopelessly political if it had come out now and and just like right out of the gate insufferable so what would uh, the book be
2: now if it came out today what do you think what would it be called what would it what would its focus be
0: our book yeah um boy i don't know man that's why we're why we're not progressive by two guys who could be if we chose yeah that's, Yeah, that's,
2: that's probably pretty spot on
0: yeah well and i i yeah, it wouldn't have worked, you know, it wouldn't work because Y was never going to be progressive. And at the end of the day, I probably wasn't going to be either. But I think, I think the reason it worked was, I think there were some things about the emergent church that that kind of resonated a little bit, um, you know, which is why it made the book kind of viable when we wrote it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Cause it
2: was like the concept of it not being all bad. Like there were some yeah. things that needed to be taken from that and adopted sure. in some in gospelly ways, right? Is what you guys were driving at.
0: Yeah. So. But but the whole progressive Christianity brand, I don't know, maybe this is being too candid, but whatever, I'm I'm losing my filter in old age. Um I almost I would say 95% of that is immediately insufferable to me. Um so yeah, I could have never appreciated enough about it to want to write you know that kind of book. Um so yeah, and and in fact Again, on another podcast, somebody asked me a similar question. They were like, "You know, they basically said you and K.D.Y. killed the emergent church. Like, what are you? What are you going to go after now?" And um, I'm like, "Nothing." They're like, like "Old young. age." That's yeah, my big... old age. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tackle old age. <laughs> That's my quest. Yeah, going yeah, after yeah, exactly. old age. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't think it works now.
1: Yeah. What the the nature of all political theological ecclesiological interaction is going after now. And that, yeah. I don't think that was the case, whatever that was 15 years ago or something. And so exactly. it, it, it stood out then now it's just like, oh, it's another angry person saying angry things is how it would exactly. come across. Not that no, the book totally was an dude. angry it's, book,
0: but. And what I told these kids on this podcast they were young guys. I was like, really, it's gotta be somebody your age, you know, somebody your age has to write the, why I'm not a progressive Christian book, because, you know, if I were to write it, it would just sound like an old guy ranting. But but also, like, I just don't have it in me anymore. I don't want to have an argument, you know? Um, and not that I don't care. Like, I, I still, I I very much care about those things, but... Uh, yeah, you
2: can care without wanting to be the guy at the center of the argument. The you
0: know, guy at the sure. center. Uh, and and I, I really have a low view of argument now. And I, I have a much lower view of discourse because I, I don't think, I don't think at any point anymore, And yeah, and I want to hear from you guys on this, I don't think anybody ever makes a point And then the other party is like, huh. Yeah, wow. You know, you really made me think. And I I, I think I think I'll see that differently now. That never happens. You Not can. today. We yeah. spend all the live long day trying to make it happen and yelling and screaming at each other. And it literally never happened. Nobody changes their mind, dude. I
1: I, mean, I think it ha- I think it happens in conversation with people you have a trust basis with, but yeah. that is where like one and a half percent of discourse takes place. Exactly. So, exactly which, so you are 98.5 percent correct that that doesn't happen
2: but i mean it's even like i mean pipe that's so good it, and it's even like it's even encouraging people to go to that place to have that dialogue like people don't want to get to that place it's too people are afraid that their opinion could be altered which means there's something in what they're thinking that's potentially wrong and so yeah. just the fear of that prevents people from even doing that hey let's connect over coffee and have a civil conversation about things we might not be seeing eye to eye on, you know? Totally. And, uh, it's just a weird, it's a weird moment to encourage people to do that and have that even not be an option as if, you know, we've never read Romans 14. Right. You know, yeah. so it's, it's just, it's strange times.
0: Yeah. And that, that's a really great point too. And I, I think to all of your questions about writing and about books, like I really don't believe in books anymore to serve that purpose. You know what I mean? And again, when we were 30 or 28 or whatever we were, when we were writing that, I think we, we both had a, a real deep seated belief in like, yeah, we need to write this. Like we need, we need to be able to give this to people like college kids in our church who are, you know, having their head turned by the emergent church or whatever. And yeah, I just, I don't have that level of belief that, that books can move the needle in that way anymore. Um, which is sad, but I think just reality.
1: I feel like it used to be that a book was, was a culture shaping thing or had the potential to be. Now it feels like a book is a meal, you know? So it's, it's really valuable. It's sustaining it. Some of them are way better than others. Some of them you remember better than others, Mm -hmm. but, but very few of them have this lasting sort of directional changing things. Even for an individual, there's, there's not quite the same, like they don't stick to the ribs and, and really affect you long term the way that uh the way that you I mean you think about like knowing god by J.I. Packer and it just shaped mm-hmm. a generation of, of yeah. theologians and thinkers yeah. and so forth. Like, there are no there are no formative books like that anymore, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. I
2: mean big yeah, T, does it. that does hearing that give you does that make you feel um or is that kind of contribute to some of your like lethargy in terms of like writing books or thinking about writing books, you know, of, uh, of, of something that is going to be, you know, uh, more engaging of the mind.
0: No, I mean, cause I still, I think about a book like knowing God or future grace by pipes. Dad was one that was real formative for me. Like I think about those books and I, I do really celebrate them and I'm really thankful for them. And I, I really love what, what they did and what they could still do for people. But I think I, I have a lower view of audiences or like the world we live in. So my, my lethargy has less to do with, like, I still love writing. I still love making sentences, telling a story. I I mean, all the foundational things about writing, but, um, yeah, I just, I just don't have a lot of belief in, audiences anymore, which, which sounds so smug, dude. It sounds so arrogant. I hate myself for saying that, but like, (laughs) it's just a fact of the matter, you know? And, and I don't, I don't even think it's the, the individual people's fault. I just think we introduced, we introduced a thing in social media 15 years ago that provides a much quicker hit of whatever the little hor- hormonal things are that they want. Right. Like, so like pipe said, the book is a meal. The book is a means to, I can devour this thing and I can race to my computer to crap all over it. Right. <laughs> like, um, I- I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna consume this thing, whether it's a movie or a book or whatever. And the movie is just a vehicle to as, as quickly as I can get to my phone or my computer, I can make this about me. And I just don't think we were doing that 20 or 30 years ago. Like, I think when we read Knowing God, we, we read it, we enjoyed it, we prayed about it, we thought about it, we rolled it around, but it wasn't an exercise in how quickly can I make this about me? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's good. Yeah.
1: All right, I have, I have another question for you, Ted, and this is uh, moving away from the writing sphere. And you can uh, you can tell us as much or as little about this as you would like. Yeah, I'm curious how you and Double K uh, ended up being adoptive parents. So getting to the place of adopting two sons from are uh, are they Russian or Ukraine Eastern European Ukraine? That's what okay I couldn't remember exactly. So so two boys from the Ukraine. uh, How did you guys get there?
0: Yeah, man, that's a great question and kind of a it's kind of a cool story. So when we were real young, uh, we, we met, we got married during my junior year of college. Uh, she had graduated already. Um, but then when I graduated, as soon as I graduated, we moved to Lithuania for a year to do the young evangelical rite of passage, which is like staving off getting a job and couching it in like spiritual (laughs) terms, (laughs) you know, like, Oh, we're so noble. We're going to go serve on the mission field, which means we're just going to like tromp around Europe for a year and, you know, kind of bathe it in a thin veneer of spirituality. So anyway, that's what we did. Uh, Went to Lithuania for a year. We were teachers, but we were also uh, kind of like volunteering in these orphanages at night. And there were a ton of them. And um, the Lord really used that to like, I think, open our eyes to how many orphans there were, you know, for lack of a better term. And we were really sad about it. And uh, we kind of said... That we would start our family by adopting before we even knew if we could have kids or not. So, you know, we weren't in any way, shape or form ready to have kids at age 21 or 22, unlike most of reformed (laughs) them. So we we waited a few years and I think, you know, we were 26, 27, 28, somewhere in that in that range when we decided to adopt. So. Lithuania at that time, they had a closed adoption program, so we couldn't adopt from there. So we just kind of, like, circled out to the next closest country with a similar culture and similar issues, and uh, it was Ukraine. So that was Tristan. So we adopted Tris uh, first without ever even trying to have kids, um, which was, I don't know, hard, uh, expensive, (laughs) expensive. Um, it was a, cra- it was a crazy process, but man, we're so, we're so glad and we wouldn't do anything differently. Of course. Uh, and, and then we came home.
1: How, how old was he when y'all adopted him?
0: He was a year and a half and we got him. Okay. So yeah, that was, that was early 2000. So he was born in 2002, um, was a year and a half and we got him. We came home, uh, tried to have kids and couldn't. So, um, yeah, there were, there was like a three or four year stretch of just brutal, infertility stuff, which listeners who have gone through that or are going through that know how hard that is, especially in our churches that lean our way, which we used to call our church, the fertile crescent, um, (laughs) just because like (laughs) these ladies were just popping them out dude, every nine and a half months you were, you were getting another baby shower notice and they were just cranking them out and, and almost such that we thought that the reform gestation period must be quicker, you know, (laughs) like reform gestation is like six or seven months. Uh, it just goes faster. So babies are literally like just flying out of women at our church and it was brutal, man. It was, it was truly spiritually and emotionally brutal for KK, especially, but also for me and, um, very isolating, I think. Um, yeah. And, and at the time we went to a church that, you know, was big into infant baptism, which really was just a celebration of all these huge families and it sucked, man. It sucked it really, really sucked. Um, but then, you know, a few years deep into that, we, uh, we, we decided to try the adoption thing again. Um, went back to Ukraine, uh, went to Kiev this time and adopted, adopted Maxim, uh, which in some ways was a much cleaner process. Uh, we just went over, stayed for six weeks and and came back with Maxim. So, um, so, yeah, that's the story. Like, I think on, on one level it was conviction, and then on another level it was infertility. And we had already done the Ukraine thing before and, and just went back there.
1: Very cool. And how old was Maxim when he
0: came home with you? all Maxim was three. Yeah, okay. so he was a little older, but he, he was from a rougher situation in that he had, he had literally never been outside. So, like, um, the sun hurt his eyes. He was really malnourished. Um, so there was a lot of like building, building him back up that we got to do. And, um, they're both amazing, man, just completely in a lot of ways, completely different guys. But, um, but yeah, just what a, a huge blessing, you know, the Lord looking back was of course in it every step of the way. And, you know, I think when you adopt, you have even a greater sense of the Lord putting these specific people in your home for specific reasons and um yeah we're thrilled man nice that's awesome amazing. yeah
1: ronnie you got any more questions for ted
0: i feel satisfied well baby that's man, great
1: ted, ted's a deep and fascinating person so there's plenty more we could ask but maybe Absolutely. we should uh we should we should land this thing there
0: yeah i appreciate it boys appreciate the thoughtful questions man this was uh it was exactly what i needed so let's draw this one to a close okay um yes. let's go ahead and say that we've wandered to and fro, throughout these topics. And until next time.
1: The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to resonaterecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to resonaterecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast.